the Six Strings Podcast with your host, Sean Six. This is Sean Six from Six Strings, and I am here with Keith St. John. Dude, I don't even know how to uh, actually introduce you because you have been involved with a bunch of bands. Should I say you were the illustrious singer at one point for a band called Montrose, and then you also uh, sing for a band called Kingdom Come, and then you do a tremendous amount of other things, too. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Hey, what's up, buddy? No, you know, that's what we do. You know, as the music industry has kind of gone, in a lot of different directions you, you know we, we take on different bands different projects and as artists you know we just do what we do to have artistic expression and different bands and at the same time make ends meet you know maybe i did a, a tour with so-and-so for for six months because i didn't have much on the books and it sounded like a good idea but uh you know here you know today i'm definitely focused on ronnie montrose remembered remembering yes. my brother uh, in one of the best bands I've ever been in, for sure. And Ronnie, as you know, is a huge legend, and uh, I'm happy to be celebrating him. Believe it or not, the first band I ever saw live, uh, and I was in uh, uh, just a, a child, was Montrose. No kidding, my, man. My, my, wow. sister, my sister was supposed to be babysitting me. She was 13 years older than me. She graduated in the 70s, and uh, she was supposed to be babysitting me, and the first concert was Montrose and she took me to the concert because she wanted to go see it and she was supposed to be babysitting me so she had dragged me along in tow so that was my first experience to rock music so I, I maybe I can blame Ronnie and the band Montrose for me being in this career now I don't know maybe that's, wow. that's... well your sister obviously was a deep rocker because <laughs> no I say that because you know I was in all sorts of music as a kid you know I heard what I heard you know based on probably my dad's record collection first off you know whatever that was probably like you know stones beatles you know more more poppy kind of stuff a little bit of rock and um but you know i love the rock on the radio but out on long island we didn't really hear montrose on the radio you know it was just you know it was a four shot of the big boys you know zeppelin aerosmith bad company that stuff right heard about the band saw like their posters and head shops but i didn't know much about them so i'm i'm imagining you know it was the same scene kind of up in boston you really had to be more into the whole scene a little deeper in order to be listening to bands like you know Montrose and Edgar Winter and stuff like that exactly. if you lived up in New England so this is going to be year number five for Ronnie Montrose Remembered, and it's going to be associated with the with the NAM event. And it's kind of interesting when you think about it, because NAM is such a culmination of artist and industry and, you know, anybody and everything that's involved with the music industry in general is there. Whether you're, you know, making guitars or microphones, or if you're involved with the performance side of it, and you have events like Ronnie Montrose Remembered, you have trying to spread the love and the the rock and roll legendary of of Montrose and Ronnie in itself. What is it like for you to be involved in this event and have this event for people out there and have them come and experience what Ronnie was all about? Well, hey, let me just say, you know, changing over from being an artist and, and a singer guy, you know, with a microphone to going behind the scenes and being a concert promoter <laughs> is not something I really recommend, you know, for, as, you know, like 
a job choice. If you start looking at, you know, open up the books and go, well, what jobs can I get? You know, those two things don't mix all that great because they're really very, very opposite sides of the coin. Right. And, you know, I've been lucky enough over the years to make friends with enough people in the behind the scenes business that when I first started doing this, I got a lot of help. And, you know, and people love Ronnie so much behind the scenes, they were willing to go a few extra miles and say, Keith, you know, let me give you some advice. Here's what you need to do. If, you know, the world is even going to know this event exists, you know, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Right. And look, you and I are talking, we're on opposite sides of the country. Right. Because, you know, I learned the hard way, you know, how to hire a PR guy <laughs> and somebody with some reach to find cool, related um, rock media outlets like yourself. Right. So, but you don't know these things off the bat. And when you first try to put this stuff together as a guy who knows nothing, you're pulling your hair out of your head going, holy crap, man, is this going to come together? Or, you know, <laughs> is anyone going to know about my event? And, right. you know, where are they going to buy tickets? And how do I do this? So, uh, you know, it, on one sense, it's been a feel good thing to get everybody together to call up all the musicians some of the guys that I've known for all these years that I've known Ronnie and just some brand new people that I just cold called and said, Hey man, you know, I'm doing this thing for Ronnie Montrose. You want to come down and having people go, you know, Holy dude, that's great, man. I'd love to play. And then some people go, yeah, nah, you know, I'm busy, you know, let me know when, when it pays $10,000 and I'll come and, and play a song. You know, you get, you get both ends of the spectrum, right. you know, being that guy. And, uh, you know, I've learned a lot and hopefully, you know, I've been assertive, as possible, but humble at the same time and, and kept my friends friends and kept my whole, you know, artist thing and singer thing where it needs to be at the same time. Um, but like I said, you know, it's, it's just it's been an experience with many, many different sides to it. It's really interesting when you think about it because of you having that experience with Ronnie and, and singing for Montrose and then after him passing and then, and, you know, you're trying to do this event as a remembrance, as a, as a homage to him and, and what kind of influence that he's put on rock and roll music in general. There, there's a lot of artists say that he forged what they thought that rock and roll was supposed to be and his particular style and his personality and what he did, you know, playing guitar outside of the aspect of just wanting to have people show up for the event and wanting to have, you know, a star-studded, you know, a group of people that are going to perform, there has to be a certain level of pressure there, too, just for doing it justice, just because of him. I mean, you you knew him. I mean... I did, and we played together. And and the good thing is, is uh, a lot of guys that played with Ronnie... Let me back up a little bit. When When he decided... In about 98, I think, or 99, to go back and play those songs from the first record and go pay homage and put a new Montrose band back together right? and put the name Montrose out there back on the map and tour, I happened to be around and we happened to be working together. And I won't get into the long story of you know how that came together, but I was around and he said, hey, Keith, you want to try singing on some of my old stuff that I got? Let me play you this stuff and then we'll go jam it and, and see what it feels like. And it felt good. And um, and we, we went ahead and did it and uh, and it sounded great. But the, the good thing is, is the guys that we got back then, they're around still. And a lot of those guys that we played with and they changed over the years because we kind of borrowed guys from bigger bands to be in the band, you know, and, and then when, you know, uh, 
you know, Dawkins needed Wild McBrown back or Ted Nugent, then we, you know, we had to, you know, we, we swapped over. We got Eric Singer uh, and or Jimmy DeGrasso. And, you know, we got a lot of guys that were in the business and already established. And a lot of those guys live on the West Coast. They're either from the Bay Area or L.A. Ronnie's kind of two stomping grounds, predominantly probably from the Bay Area. But then in our gener- our era, since L.A. was the scene for a while, you know, he, he moved down here and he lived here for a little while. And we knew a bunch of those guys. So I guess my point is, is we had a lot of people who played with Ronnie, uh, whether it be in Montrose at some point or in Gamma, and come and be part of the shows. So the fans were really interested, you know, in in seeing what it was going to be like. Number one, number two, paying homage to Ronnie. Right. And what happened was when we got there at the first one, honest to God, I, I put the first one together just as one memorial show, you know, for people to come and pay their respects who hadn't had a chance to right after he passed because he had had a memorial up in the Bay Area at the Warfield, but it was rushed and everybody was emotional and you know, three quarters of the people who would have wanted to be there couldn't be there because right. they were either on the, on tour or just couldn't get up to the bay that fast with that short a notice. So we had all these people come out, and it was just going to be a one-time thing. But the audience, the Montrose fanship is just so into that music, and they loved it so much and love what it's about that, it you know, it just drove the musicians on stage to play like play like when you play when you're like 16 and you just like go all out you know right when you're learning your first stuff and you first learn that whatever song it is whether it's rock candy or it's like rock and roll by zeppelin you know you're just like you're in your moment you know and for some reason a lot of these guys growing up on ronnie's music when they got on that stage the first year they were in that moment they they reverted to just, children again. They really yeah. did. They they had that. They were kids, man. They, they had that teenage excitement of getting up there and playing and saying, "Oh my God, I, I'm the rock star that I envisioned that I wanted to be." And like, and they're playing the music that they grew up on. Yeah. And so, well, in my ramblings, you know, that's exactly what I was trying <laughs> to say. And and the audience can see that and they can feel that. And you know, and and Ronnie's widow, Lisa. You know, she's been down at every event. And with her there, you know, speaking from the heart and talking about Ronnie and his humanity and, and also how, you know, we lost him, uh, which was a terrible thing. And, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it just, it just, uh, I think it got under the, the fan's skin and the audience's skin and they, they just wanted to do it again. And I had this clamoring of, of emails and whatever messages, uh, you know, after the first one, you know, when I hit like the fall before the next NAM, people were just saying, you're doing this again, right? We got to do this again. And some of the musicians were calling, and you know, and then so I called some of my friends. I said, "We're doing this again," and uh, you know, we we just did, and you know, it was another group of people. We added, you know, we added a bunch more new people who hadn't done it, and um, I think the second year Bob James came, who was the next singer after Sammy Hagar back in the '70s. So this was the kind of history we were starting to resurrect, and people were coming out of the woodwork with, hey, you know, you know, Ronnie stayed at my house, man, you know, for a couple of weeks while they were in the studio, and he left this big box of stickers in here, which were supposed to go on the Jump On It record, but, you know, he stole them from the record label, and they've been sitting <laughs> in a plastic Tupperware case in the top of my closet till yesterday. Right. Here you go, man. You want to, you know, and all this stuff keeps coming forward, and people are like yeah i got these rehearsal tapes from and we we try to put this stuff up you know in video or play it live between the acts like during the show so it's become this uh this huge just sort of 
nostalgia. It's like it's like an ongoing Montrose meets like the summer of love or something. I feel like <laughs> I'm in the late '60s with you, with this. Sometimes it really has become its own entity in itself. It's really kind of strange that it's embodied this because when you look at the artists that have either shown up to the event or have played, got up on the stage and. It's amazing. I mean, this, like, you know, looking at the amount of artists that are just involved this year, it's a laundry list of some of the biggest names in rock and roll. It's insane. Like, if you go to some of the events that are around NAM, and there's a plentitude of them, but you can go to this event and see some of the best musicians on the planet get up on that stage and play. It, it's, it's crazy. It's cr- absolute oh, craziness. Absolutely. So, when you think about, having these people come and trying to, you know, negotiate this whole thing, because like you said, you're on the promoter side now, which is a very difficult job compared to being on the stage and just performing. What do you think has been the most difficult part? Is it just been scheduling, trying to get everybody in the same place at the same time? Or is it... Well, there is that. (laughs) There is that. This year has been especially hard because this year, the NAM convention itself was earlier in January. January than Correct. it usually is. We usually have about four weeks in January to work on it. You know, since we sort of released the date in late October, November, and then we can go kind of balls to the wall in January. But now I'm, I'm still going balls to, to the wall, but I literally had everything just ready to go bonkers on the second and the third. Right. Like so much so because it was going to be coming up in two weeks. And on the other side of things, you know, as I'm trying to get all these media outlets going, uh, technical term, everybody, uh, <laughs> I, I, I've got the players who are just sort of like getting past New Year's and getting to the third or fourth going, okay, man, I'm, you know, I'm getting my schedule together. I don't have it all together. And just coordinating who's coming and going at what times because it's a long event. And, you know, if somebody's got a a dinner with Gibson or whatever, you know, thing they've got with their companies, you know, we've got to accommodate and make it work out. Otherwise, I'll miss the opportunity to have them on stage. So, yeah, the the scheduling is really crazy, man. It's crazier this year than ever. Usually, you know, with four weeks, the schedule thing's not that bad. but, But this one's been tight. And it's been tough. And uh, and for some reason, because NAM is earlier, I don't know, just a certain crop of people who have played in the past couldn't make it. You know, they're, they're not they're not even going to be there. So I don't know what that's about, but we still got a real healthy lineup. I still have too many guitar players asking to play, actually. And I hate, <laughs> that's amazing. hate you know. turning anybody down. You know, anybody with the vibe that's that's coming up for the right reasons and and i know most of the guys that call or write or whatever they love ronnie and they're really it's in their heart and they're, they're coming for the right reasons but we just it, we just run out of slots <laughs> after a while you know and so one thing i've done this year though is i have doubled up some guitar slots on some songs doubled up and tripled up some stuff because usually at the end of the show, we've done kind of a guitar fanfare during the song Bad Motor Scooter. And, you know, in the middle of that song will be this long jam where four or five guitarists and sometimes more, you know, one guy will leave the stage and another guy will take over, will do their solos and stuff in the middle of that song. And I noticed in the aftermath, you know, a lot of the coverage that was more popular was certain guys that you never see together jamming side by side. On okay. this song. So this year, I'm going to try to create a little bit more of that and, you know, pair up some people that you're never going to see together in any other space. And um, 
and see how that goes. And and they're being pretty agreeable, so uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that. You know, that's going to be an interesting deal. I don't want to say who's going to play alongside of who yet because, uh, you know, but, but for instance. Okay. Um, for instance, say Brad Gillis aside George Lynch, and they're, you know, they'll be trading back and forth right. and this kind of thing. And they're two totally different style guitar players, right. you know, who you're not really ever going to see playing like that. So I think that's going to be a cool thing this year, even though, you know, we have a lot of players. I mean, that I think that actually is a new thing that, that the audience can see that we haven't really done yet is a lot of that trade-off back and forth stuff. It is kind of cool when you think about it because if you're looking at the event, you come to the event, you, you know, you're a Montrose fan and and you're a fan of Ronnie and you come to the event. It does turn into a massively huge jam session. It really does. It just obviously it's kind of focused around Montrose music, but like you said, you have people that are playing together that you might never ever see, or if you have seen right. them play anywhere together or even remotely close to each other, it was probably 20, 30 years ago. You're seeing something where you're just seeing people get up there and be completely comfortable to just kind of have a great time remembering somebody that exposed people to amazing music and stuff that influenced a lot of people. If you had to say what would be high points for Ronnie Montrose Remembered, what would it be to entice the fan to come? Would it be the artist? Would it be the particular songs? Or would it be a culmination of a lot of things? Uh, I mean, the first thing, and, and we've kind of been saying it already, there's so many great artists from from different rock bands, not only, you know, bands from the quote-unquote 80s, you know, that were, were big back, you know, in the 80s here who were all influenced by Ronnie, but we've got guys like Derek St. Holmes, who's a guitar and singing icon from the 70s, which was kind of, you know, that, that would that would make him kind of like Ronnie's contemporary. Of you course. Know? And guys like Derek really understand the tone and the approach you know, that the rock music had back then. Right. You know, somebody like Derek St. Holmes, I kind of know where he's coming from. You know, we played with Derek. We had Derek up on stage with us when I was with Ronnie. You know, we'd go to stuff, me and Ronnie, and we'd, we'd do some, you know, some put-together things sometimes. And we did a little tour that Derek was on once, and uh, and I think uh, Pat Travers was on it, and uh, Mark Farner, a couple other people. But, you know, people that kind of get that whole 70s thing and really get what that was about back then. And and Brad Whitford, uh, he, he's been at Ronnie Montrose, remember? So you have that crop of sort of the influencers, like Ronnie's contemporary people. And then you have, you know, what kind of came out of, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, like the more late 70s and the 80s, you know, and that stuff, which, you know, I guess we you could say Van Halen kind of took the Montrose kind of mold and like wanted to make what they wanted to make out of it, but they wanted their record to sound like that first Montrose record. And, and then from there, kind of everybody on the Sunset Strip wanted to be Van Halen. I mean, everybody in the world. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, it was no accident that eventually um, when they were having problems with Dave, they called Sammy, you know, because, you know, they loved that band. And um, anyway, I guess, you know, the high point, I think, is just coming down there and just feeling the sheer energy. There's so many moments during the show that you can hear a pin drop. You know, yeah. even though it's it's rocking hard, you know, there's dynamic moments and everyone's on the edge of their seat because that's kind of the way Ronnie played. You know, he was a he was a dynamic guy and he was a tone guy. 
so there's songs like that that come all the way down to quiet and then like the verse section will come back in and Ronnie would kind of look out at the audience with a certain prowess and uh you know no fumbling whatsoever he'd just ease it back in like so pianissimo you know it's like <laughs> it was like Yasha Heifetz playing violin you know he could just he could just direct the energy and the sound like take a breath and shake it off and everybody would just be like wow it went from bombastic to full-on finesse in like a blink of yeah an eye. exactly finesse is the right word and and i think because ronnie was known to be like that and a lot of these west coast guys grew up seeing him they're also working hard to bring that to the stage right and and that's what's incredible is um watching players who are already super great in their own right get up there and they're not just going through the motions they're pushing it to the limit because like you said, they're they're 16 again. It's like they feel humbled just to be up there. They're not just in their practice room. They're not in their, you know, their house or whatever, kind of messing around with playing something out of their, their mind, the back of their mind when they were a kid and they were learning how to play guitar or what have you. They're doing something in front of a stage where not only are they having a good time, but they're also trying to do it justice too. So they exactly. are they are trying to push the envelope on it saying, you know what, if Ronnie was here, this is how Ronnie would do it. And You nailed it. You know, and, and that, that's tough for a lot of artists, too. Like, I'm looking at some of the people that are, you know, scheduled to play this year. You have Phil Demel that's going to be playing, known for playing in violence and Machine Head. Some people would consider that it's a heavy band. Why would he be playing something that would be coming from that particular time frame? With It makes perfect sense. Because this is something it that does. probably, you know, forged his idea of what playing guitar was. Absolutely. And, and Phil Demel specifically is a big Gamma fan. I don't know if uh, a lot of listeners will know on the East Coast where not and whatnot about the Gamma band, but, you know, Ronnie did at least four Gamma records, and it's got a huge underground following. And it's very... It's a big departure from the early Montrose sound. It's great to see very established guitar players get up on stage and, like I said, be humbled by playing something that Ronnie wrote and Ronnie you know, performed on his stage every single night. And they get up there and you can see that you know, like we said, they have that 16-year-old kid excitement, but also, too, you can sense that they're a little nervous, too, because they're like, oh, I don't want to screw this up at all. You know, like, you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I don't want to get up there and, you know, kind of fumble through this. Like, I, you know, I didn't actually take this seriously. People show up and really want to do this justice. And I think that's what's really good for the fans, too. Like you said, people are going to show up. They're going to see a, a musicianship and a level of energy in the room that you you don't really see a lot at shows anymore. No matter how much we think shows are exciting still, you're not going to experience the same thing as you would coming to see this Ronnie Montrose Remembered show. No, no. And another thing is, is backstage or in anticipation of who's playing what songs, I'm not going to name names, but I've seen certain guys go, well, what song you got this year? And blah, blah, blah. And oh, I'm going to I'm gonna smoke that. You know what I mean? Kind of like a little competition thing between guys. You know, nice. it's like this particular song is, you know, kind of like watch watch what I do with, you know, how, how I do this, you know. So that even amps it up a little bit more, you know, that factor. And for those of you out there listening who don't know much about Montrose or Ronnie Montrose, Ronnie got his break getting into the Van Morrison band. In the late 60s. Correct. Ronnie used to work for uh, Bill Graham out at the Fillmore. And they were friends because Ronnie would help him 
with some of the like building and carpentry he needed. So he kind of befriended him too. And Roddy had his little band, local band called Sawbuck with the bass player Bill Church, who was eventually in Montrose. But um, when Van Morrison came out, because his wife wanted to move out of Woodstock, New York, she thought it became too commercial. She wanted to go to the West Coast. His band didn't come with him. Uh, you know, some of them did, but some of them stayed behind and, and he needed a guitar player. Ronnie got that audition and he got into that band and he played the Tapello Honey record, which is known as Van Morrison's rock record because Ronnie played on it. And so we tried to do a historical thing at the show too. So we've got songs from Van Morrison that Ronnie played on that we do. And then uh, Ronnie's next big thing, he was in a few other things, which I won't get into everything. Uh, his next big thing was the Edgar Winter Band, which Correct. he was in and he played uh, They Only Come Out at Night record, which has you know big songs like Free Ride and Frankenstein, pretty much the Edgar Winter songs that we know. Right. So we play songs from Edgar Winter. And... Um, you know, so there's kind of a little historical thing and a whole bunch of nice diversity to the show as well. Just want to toss that out there. So really, it's something for everybody that is a rock fan in general, because you're not just going to get Montrose. You're not just going to get what you would consider the, the hits, the hit list of Montrose. You're going to get a lot of other stuff, too, because Ronnie was involved with so much more stuff. Yeah. You know, and for, for a while, you know, he was kind of moving along like sort of the American Jimmy Page. You know, Page had kind of done that. Before he started Zeppelin, you know, he had, he famously had played on, you know, some big people's records and did some touring with some other people. And, um, you know, Ronnie was kind of that guy back in those days. And uh, it's interesting, you know, there's, you know, there's another three or four bands I could rattle off that, you know, he, he played with or played on records with back then. And, um, you know, it's, it's just such a, there's a broad spectrum to his work. And if you come to the show with guys like you mentioned, Phil Demel, playing stuff off some of the more well-known Gamma songs right. in addition to the Montreal stuff. You know, you're going to hear these different sides of music. And the cool thing that, that helps with that for me and this show is that, you know, your ears don't really get tired of hearing the same thing. <laughs> That's right. You know, and by the time we hit all the big hits, you know, everybody's really ready for them. And the big Montreux stuff that, you know, people want to hear. For everybody who's listening, we'll go over the details of things here. We're going to have Ronnie Montrose remembered. It's going to be Friday, January 17th. It's yeah. going to be at the M3 Live Event Center in Anaheim, California. It's going to be associated with the NAM event this year. There's going to be a tremendous amount of artistry that's going to be in the room. Everybody who is either player, uh, a singer, a songwriter, uh, a drummer, and a who's who of people that are going to show up just to be part of the event. And there is an opportunity for people to have their minds blown about what they think music Music is and what a show is. Keith, thanks for uh, taking a moment to chat with us about the Ronnie Montrose Remembered event, and we hope everybody shows up and enjoys the evening, and I will see you there. I'm looking forward to it, Sean. Thanks so much for having me, and uh, yeah, travel safe. Let me know when you're getting in, and, uh, and we'll hook up. 